Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Beyond Strange World. I'm Tim here today with Lance. What's up, Lance? Well, everything is going so much, uh, so much better right now after that incredible intro, and I just feel really good about the conversation we're about to have with Mr. Christopher Garitano. He's joining us once again to deliver his insight, his wisdom, and his uh, his his overall good nature. Welcome, the man, the myth, the legend. How's it going? I've returned. Thank you. Ooh, what was that? That was, that was a lot of bass resonance. The gravitas there. It's going well, man. No alligators this morning. We're good. I uh, Speaking of alligators, I love uh, the intro to your fantastic podcast, Off to the Witch, where you say you are broadcasting uh, from the Gulf of Mexico in an undisclosed location from the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, it just brings me right back to those like uh, old radio shows like Coast to Coast or um, yeah, pretty much brings me right back to Coast to Coast listening to uh, Art Bell or, or one of those guys. And they were huge inspirations to me so that, you know, I mean, honestly, you know, with something like I'm doing, you're creating this kind of story hour. Um, you know, Rod Serling did it with the Zero Hour. Art Bell did it with the original Coast to Coast AM. And um, it's, uh, I want to create an entire atmosphere for people. And that's, that's what I'm working on every episode. And, you know, a, a constant theme that runs through the episode where we take them on a journey and then we have a closing statement and it feels like they're keeping you company at night. I always love stuff like that because I listened to Coast to Coast AM when I was a kid. Oh my God. I love Coast to Coast. Uh, huge fan of Coast to Coast for, uh, for a long time. And uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast, Off to the Witch. Ooh, a Frankenstein just fell. Um, so, yeah, hold on, pause. <laughs> <laughs> only, only in a conversation with Christopher Garitano can that statement be uttered and we just move on without, without recognizing. Yeah, uh, well, this is the Glenn Strange Frankenstein from Abbott and Costello meets, uh, meets Frankenstein, Dracula, and the Wolfman. That's a, just for the record. Incredible. We were just shown an, an incredible piece of memorabilia right there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, off to the witch. Uh, I, I wanted to do something really unique in the podcast world and go back to old radio theater, much like uh, Rod Serling's The Zero Hour or early Coast to Coast, especially um, episodes that covered the paranormal or really deep, mysterious subjects. Um, and they were fun, too. You know, Art Bell was this kind of chain smoking guy who just didn't judge his audience, didn't tell too much about himself at all. And he was just a curious person. And I thought that was the greatest example of what, you know, these hosts can be on a show like this. But I wanted to give it structure. And as a filmmaker myself, I like, you know, collecting all of the information, gathering it, writing it beforehand, getting everything planned. And so it's a studio-based uh, podcast. I mean, I could do it live, but I want to, I really want to have control over the medium and, and make it solid. So usually my interviews run about two hours and I'm cutting them down. Well, let, let's talk about your latest episode. The latest one that you have released is about a topic that um, is a really fascinating topic in, uh, in, in cinema. It's the, uh, the ultraviolence topic. That's correct. That's your latest episode. Yeah. Uh, you know that if you want to go back there was a filmmaker called Herschel Gordon Lewis, and he made these really schlocky movies in the late 60s, starting in the late 60s. They were very gory. 
And they were almost like EC comics from the EC comics from the 50s, like Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror and stuff like that. They were very violent. And so I think that inspired Lewis. He wanted to make some money, you know, and, and he made those things. But there was a much more profound, you know, subversive intellect in a filmmaker like Sam Peckinpah. And he made movies like The Wild Bunch and Straw Dogs. And earlier, you know, previous to that, he made many Westerns. But when he started hitting the late 60s and early 70s, his films became very violent. And a lot of it was against violence. The violence of the 1970s was a statement against the Vietnam War, um, even in a film, and we discussed this particularly in the, in the episode, a filmmaker like um, Wes Craven, who later went on to make Scream and A Nightmare on Elm Street. His first film was Last House on the Left. And um, it's, to this moment, it's a brutal movie. A lot of people won't sit through it. And um, that was partially uh, Craven's statement against the Vietnam War. You had you know, young people being recruited to murder and be murdered. And he was, he was speaking out against the violence. And I think a lot of the movies of the 70s did that. So I wanted to do an episode about why is it that we enjoy these films? And I think there are many reasons why we enjoy them. One reason why we don't is that we don't revel in violence. We don't enjoy violence, but I have to admit, I do like you know the, the action films of the 80s where there is a lot of violence, everything from Robocop which had a lot of subtext to Predator, which is one of my favorite movies, you know? I'm, a, I'm very eclectic. So it's like, it's this weird duality that we have. We don't want to face real violence. It's a horrible thing. I've seen it myself, you know? And it's like, it's not the same as it is in the films. And when it's portrayed too close to home, that's when it get, it, it's allowing us to think. And the violence, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger did in the, in the 80s or, or um, uh, Sylvester Stallone, people like that, we have fun with it because it's a little further away from reality, like a roller coaster ride. So we discuss these things and where that came from, the origins. And I interviewed Jim Van Beber, who is a, you know, notorious kind of um, underground, not underground, but an independent filmmaker, very much so. But he was reviewed in, in circles like Roger Ebert reviewed his movie, The Manson Family, and they're just brutal movies. And he was 10 years old when he saw Last House on the Left in the theater. And so the effect that it had on a kid came out later in his artwork. And that's the thread of that episode. That is uh, that is super fascinating because so many of those movies that you mentioned, we'll just talk about Last House on the Left. I mean, you mentioned that, that movie and instantly my tongue went up and felt my teeth to make sure that they were still in my head and not knocked out with a uh, screwdriver and a hammer. Um which is a reference to one of the scenes there where it's just, it's a brutal movie and that's a brutal scene. Um, I don't think anyone who has maybe, I mean, who hasn't looked into it, it doesn't feel like a, a Vietnam uh, anti-Vietnam statement movie. And it's, it's really incredible to hear filmmakers discuss other filmmakers and, and give the insight uh, behind why someone made the movie and the message. Uh, and, and I had no idea that Wes Craven made that movie as a, uh, a statement against Vietnam. Sure. It was, um, if you can get back into the zeitgeist of that time, so that was 1972, you know, NAM was still happening. And even that subtext was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the stuff about the gas shortages and all that stuff was coming from the environment that, and the problem that I have with, uh, you know, 
movie making by committee is that when you want to put that message in as an artist, it starts to get removed. And the greatest films, arguably, you know, collectively, were from that era. Everything from, you know, The Wild Bunch or Easy Rider to Star Wars, Jaws, The Godfather, you know, and I'm just naming American cinema, but still, like, these were the most, some of the most incredible movies ever made in the 20th century. Now, we have good movies being made right now, but a, there's a lot of interference. And I think at that time, the studios actually allowed the directors to have final cut until a movie named uh, Heaven's Gate sunk a studio. They put so much money into it. It was Michael Cimino who directed The Deer Hunter, which previously was a success. It sunk the studio. They put so much money into it and everyone got scared and Star Wars started making a lot of money. So that's here. Hence, we go into the 80s, you know, like they wanted more movies like that which I'm glad they, they made them. But we need to, I think, allow the artists to make things again. And, and luckily technology allows you to speak out. You just have to have the guts to go out now and stop seeking all of this help, you know, um, and, and go out and make it yourself. And I think you, you would have a success if you spoke your mind and stopped bending to all the rules. So I'd love to see you know, this is the time to do it. Look at what's happening in the world right now. This is the time to speak out to the world with your work. You should not allow anyone to stop you. Well, um, I really think Heaven's Gate was a uh, masterpiece. Um, so I take offense to uh, to any negative uh, comment out there about it. But uh, no, Great tell movie. us about <laughs> uh, tell us about your movie, the uh, Montauk Chronicles. And um, you know, speaking of taking sort of taking things matters into your own hand. Tell us about your plans on with the Montauk Chronicles. Well, I own Montauk Chronicles, but um, it was a, it was a movie about a, you know, way back before it was a, a popular subject because it's kind of a, you know, conspiracies are like, they're part of the zeitgeist right now. Uh, and, and, and negatively in a lot of ways, but conspiracies have happened. But when I started making this movie Montauk Chronicles, Way back in 06, I made two versions of it. And the one that's out in the world, I made between 2013 and, and 2014, I finished it. The first version, I actually started in 06. And um, it's, uh, it, it was just my curiosity of these old men telling a story that they were part of a government program. Back then, it was only you know, things I experienced in David Cronenberg movies, Stephen King. You know, they wrote about it in Firestarter and... Uh, Manchurian Candidate and stuff like that. And it's like, it was in movies. And so I wasn't privy to Operation Paperclip. And most people weren't back then. Since then, all of that info has become into, you know, it, it has embedded itself into our culture. And the thing I disagree with in the current zeitgeist is there, there's this broad stroke statement that, oh, don't believe in any conspiracies. Well, I'm not a supporter of QAnon. I don't believe in any of that stuff. I don't support most conspiracy theories, but I'm telling you right now, you cannot sit there and tell people don't believe in conspiracies. They happened. MKUltra, Holmesburg prison experiments, the Tuskegee medical experiments all happened under the watch of our government. So that when I started getting further into it, especially the second version of the movie, my interest was no longer in the alien stuff and the time travel stuff. It, it was such a weird story where they had at its center a story of murder and kidnapping and ex mind control experiments. And it was so weird how they first presented it as this kind of, you know, this light 
sci-fi adventure. But then they start talking about murdering and beating and even worse to kids, you know, or teenagers off the streets, runaways. Now, this is weird. And you start going back to the literature in Operation Paperclip and a lot of these other experiments, it's almost tantamount. And so that was really the, the big inspiration for me to dive deeper into this thing and continue to. I believe something, I think it's very believable that something happened. And, um, and so Montauk Chronicles is a fair example of what the three men who came out with the story originally said. I just represented it. It's pretty much a character study. I went on to, you know, collaborate on uh, with History Channel uh, on something called The Dark Files. And um, it was kind of a follow-up to Montauk Chronicles. And we actually conducted an investigation where we brought scientific equipment in and the geophysicists found a structure underneath the ground that wasn't supposed to be there. And I continued on my other shows too. I did an episode of Ancient Aliens and then of course, Strange World. It just, um, there was always this odd resistance. Um, you know, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers show up out of nowhere doing an operation, weird stuff, you know, people pushing. And, I, as, and to my knowledge, none of that was staged. You know, uh, I, I didn't know if it was, and um, I really don't think it was. I think it, if you show up with equipment that can see underneath the ground to that place that can generally see what's underneath that SAGE radar tower that's on the base, it's an enormous, you know, radar tower, World War II radar tower. Um, it's defunct apparently, but underneath it is where they said, the, the gentleman that I interviewed said these, these experiments happened. If you can bring, um, it was called electric resistivity imagery. If you can bring that equipment and spend a week surveying what's underneath, I guarantee you're going to find something there. And it's not a far-fetched thing to believe. This has happened before. Well, it is uh, stated that a conspiracy theory is only a theory until you can prove it true. And then you drop the word theory and it becomes a conspiracy. And I don't think there's anyone out there who would say, oh, conspiracies don't exist. I mean, everything in theory is a theory until you can prove it to be true. Um, I think you should consider making a documentary about that concept, about conspiracies being true, but then the manipulation of the media and the delivery of information from the government to make other conspiracy theories so outlandish that the real ones get overlooked. Right. And we discussed that somewhat in in Montauk and the other work that I did. But yeah, specifically that, I think I'll continue with that one form or another. I definitely have a plan out here something called the Dozer School I've always been interested in looking into. Um, it was an orphanage, but they ended up finding the bodies of 300 kids buried that weren't supposed to be there. You know, uh, they were murdered at this place. And so according to Alan Hornblum, who wrote Acres of Skin that we talked to on The Dark Files, he said these things were happening elsewhere and he had proof of it. This wasn't, this wasn't some quack. This is a guy, this is something we were able to prove happened at, at that prison. And he wasn't just saying, oh, these were illegal uh, cosmetic experiments. That's what they told the prisoners. These were mind control experiments. They were using LSD. I, last I checked, they don't really dose you with LSD to test a bubble bath. So I don't know. <laughs> That's what they were telling the prisoners. This is bubble bath, putting on your skin. 
to, you know, they pay them like 50 bucks and they put some bubble bath on their skin to see if they reacted and they agreed to it. It was something they agreed to the prisoners, but really what they were doing is eventually leading those prisoners out into a mind control experiment. This is, this was proven. Where, how did you find that out? Uh, this was part of our investigation for the dark files. Oh, okay. Wow. Jeez. I'm uh, currently working on a game to play with with you, which is um, I'm going to find like the most obscure, strange news and just give you some keywords and see if you know about it. So, uh, <laughs> Tim, jump in with a couple of questions. I got to find some stuff here. Sure. Well, I mean, honestly, on that topic, I, I just wanted to kind of talk about what I've been reading this year and uh, see what you know about it. Um, and uh, so far, I've been reading some Nick Redfern. You know that guy, Nick Redfern? Yeah, he was I, on I know, Ancient Aliens. I never yeah. met him, but um, I yeah. have uh, one of his books. I have the, the Men in Black book. Oh yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah. And then The Martians is a pretty new one. I did actually meet him one time um, years ago at like a at a conference out in LA. Um, had a talk with him about uh, aliens and stuff like that. We had like a beer. It was pretty cool. Cool. And uh, yeah, and then good, now I'm reading The Mothman Prophecies, which has been a, a, a interest of mine for uh really for a long time and i can't believe i haven't read that book um and i was never really a big fan of the movie it was really just the story um of the mothman and everything that came with the mothman that being the men in black and uh indrid cold and i think we talked a, a little bit about some of the stuff on beyond strange world uh before yeah there's a guy uh recently um seth i think breed breed love is his name he uh he made a movie about the uh, the Mothman and his company, Small Town Monsters. I, I I saw some of it. It's really good. I just didn't. I've been so busy with everything. I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch anything. Yes, yes, the Mothman of Point Pleasant. Yeah, I believe I did watch that. It is entertaining. Yeah, I watched it. Uh, I think on uh, on Amazon or something. Cryptids too. Always fascinating to me. I'll, I'll I'll get off my soapbox. No, no, no. It's it's all. Oh my goodness, he's got Bigfoot on his mug. Who said? <laughs> what do you mean? So you, you, you just said um, that you were busy with other things. Uh, you've been so busy. And you are. You're very independent. You create independently. You do not rely on studios or, um, you know, an executive producer breathing down your neck. What do you got going on? That's, well, I uh, am one. You yeah, know, you I are one. I my own stuff. Yeah. But uh, I, no, and I, and I am collaborating with another network right now. Like, but on, so, on something that's a little smaller than a full series because I don't want to commit uh, to a network and do a full series with them right now. I want to do it for myself. And I have a lot of reasons why. Um, and they're, they're intelligent reasons across the board. And obviously I've had a lot of time to sit and think about this and, and uh, map this out for the next couple of years. And I'm making the right choice. All right. Any, uh, any teasers on that or, or sure. anything beyond that, that teaser? Sure. I have a, so Right now, what I'm going to do, and this is going to progress into something else. I'll tell you what that something else is down the road. But I decided to create two series right now and additional, if you want to include Off to the Witch, uh, that's three, that will be uh, on my uh, YouTube channel. And I feel like it's a glorious time right now to fortify that situation. It's the most accessible streaming platform in the world. And I think 
making things for networks, um, having to wait, having things to be so mysterious constantly and also changing, you know, I can, with my shows, I'm not hired as a host. I come in with a vision. Uh, Strange World was my show. I, I came in hundred percent. I forged that show before anyone else saw it. Okay. With the name included. And, um, you know, and all the episodes and the concepts and the style came from me and a lot of the people too. And, um, so once you get to a place where, and I, again, I'm very proud of the show and everything and everybody that worked so hard on it. Um, so I have nothing against anybody. It's just, um, I have a much purer vision of strange world. And so there'll be something called Christopher Garitano's strange world, uh, premiering on this channel later in the year. Uh, it's a return, but it's also the, the purest form of the idea. And um, I think it would, I just think it would be a good thing to do. And so I'm doing it. The other thing is Campfire Club. And um, it's a show I've been wanting to make for two years now. Another thing I came up with completely on my own. I was talking to several different production companies over the last year and a half uh, about collaborating on it some of which there was an actual development deal on the table with a company in New York and uh, for that project. And, you know, because of COVID things fell apart, but I'm happy they did. At the end of the day, Campfire Club, once it got to the screen, would not be what I wanted it to be. I just know it. And this is no offense to anybody. It just wouldn't. And I need to make it my way. And um, so I'm looking forward to uh, creating these things. I have full ability to do it knowing you know just be clear that i made montauk chronicles single-handedly i mean i did everything so i'm capable of doing these things but i have a crew out here and i have people to help and i'll be hosting strange uh, christopher garitano's strange world of course and um i will be in campfire club and i'm looking for additional hosts and there's a there's a cast of uh younger uh characters in the show as well and I did some work for that over the summer out here I shot some stuff with the kids and and it came out really good and I'm very happy with it and there is such a multitude of resources out here it's ridiculous and uh so I have I have like two seasons mapped out exciting for for both shows off to the Witch is going to continue and evolve. Uh, eventually, I would like for it to be a visual experience that we could also have as an audible experience too. But I want to create a studio environment and a very particular way on how to shoot it, and there'll be recreations in it. So while these things audibly are happening, I think you know we could even separate the audio if need be, and it could just be an audible podcast. But I want to create visuals for it down the road. I think. I'll finish this season, do another season as an audible experience, and then move on to uh, its evolution. So that's what I'm working on. And um, I have a book coming out called Montauk Boys, which is written. Uh, and so much like um, uh, Stephen King's Dark Tower series or uh, The Stand, it's going to have illustrations in it, not too many, maybe five or six and the cover. I've been speaking to this awesome illustrator, and he's excited about the project. And uh It'll be the first of three. And uh, that's another thing I wrote as a show. And I was talking to the same company in New York and they were excited to make it with me. But once again, I feel like if I, and, and this is no offense to anybody, I, I enjoy collaborating with people, but I feel like if I collaborate from the get-go without fully establishing what this thing is, and I do it in my screenplays and I do it in storyboards, but even then people still can't grasp what this thing needs to be it's in my imagination so i think it's smarter to get these things out to the world first 
and then have the option to collaborate down the road if I want to with uh, a larger entity. But I'm very confident that, you know, we have backers and we have a crew and a lot of, I've done a lot of research on the situation and I'm excited to do this. I think it's actually going to be more successful for me in all ways than committing to 10 seasons to some show that might be really repetitive and exhausting to fight for your vision and uh, because I care about these things. Some people don't care about these things. They just want the check. But I think um, even in this situation would be more lucrative. So let's see what happens. Good. Well, uh, that's very exciting. Um, and when can we watch Montauk Chronicles on your YouTube channel? So that's going to be March 30th. And that's going to celebrate the launch, the official launch of the channel for people, which will, the content will follow. And we're going to you know, I think the two series, because we'll be showing a lot of things leading up to that, some behind the scenes stuff, but the two series um, will begin to premiere maybe towards the end of the summer, uh, because we're really making something special here. I mean, look, I guarantee it's going to be just as good as what you saw in Strange World. I can say it's going to be better. And visually, you know, all across the board, you know, um, we don't have, um, we're not top heavy. We don't have the overhead that a lot of the networks have to spend money on those things. So it's going to go right into the show. And, uh, and again, for the viewers, it's, it's free for them. You know, they don't have to subscribe to anything monthly. They just, at least not right now, you know, for the first couple of years of this situation, it's going to be free on the YouTube channel. So they're going to get to enjoy these shows. They just go on to YouTube. That's right. And we are planning um, sort of what, what we call a ride along uh, for the, to air on this feed. So uh, at some point, um, probably in April, you will be able to put your earbuds in and listen to this podcast and watch Chris Garantano's The Montauk Chronicles at the exact same time and sort of have it function as a director's commentary. So that'll be coming pretty soon uh, to this Beyond Strange World feed. The low price of... Fifteen ninety nine per download. Just kidding. No, no it's free. It's totally free. free. Yeah, that's 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 really incredible. Um, what is? I, I think you've already said it before, but I I just like hearing the answer. Why is it so important for you to operate independently? And what would you say to young filmmakers out there or early filmmakers? I don't mean young in age. I just mean in their filmmaking career, um, who are frustrated with trying to always find that budget or trying to find the right crew, et cetera, et cetera. If you find any filmmaker worth their salt, they will tell you the most important thing to them is final cut, which means that they have creative control. Nobody wants to allow somebody to guide their hand while they're making a thing. And most of the time that's successful. Sometimes it's not. And I can understand there's a lot at stake a lot these these studios invest but all of your favorite filmmakers will tell you the same thing and it's in print and on video uh for years that they want final cut and it's the reason for that is i have a we wake up with a solid vision we write we have we're, we're this is part of our soul we let this out in the world now there's two people uh, that that dwell inside of me there's a a strict artist and a strict businessman. I'm thinking on both levels, obviously, because this is a very expensive paint box, as Orson Welles said. And um, I'm not interested in, uh, you know, living on the street, but I, I make my decisions for both because here's the mistake that I think a lot of studios make is that if 
they would just look at film history and TV history. I think you can easily pick out the greatest shows and the greatest movies ever made were people that had creative sway over it. It was one singular vision. It wasn't made by committee. Stuff that's made by committee are like these, you know, the Jerry Springer show to, uh, even though that's not on anymore, but to certain game shows, real horrible paranormal shows that are just like, oh, here's another infrared you know, night vision camera and a guy being spooked out by nothing around the corner. I, that is, listen, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but wake up. That is a dying genre. It is not going to last. And, you know, film history tells you that, TV history tells you that. It is exhausting and exhausted. And so what I'm offering, while that's still happening in abundance, is something so fresh and something so different. And what is wrong with that? And I'm giving it to the audience for free. You know, like I, I'm so excited for this. This is the best I've felt in years. A lot has happened since we last spoke. And um, one of which was a insurrection at our Capitol. And I've been dying to find out your opinion on this and find out your opinion on, on QAnon and just the whole uh, surge, the uprising uh, up until that point. Okay, uh, let me try and wrap this in a nice little package. So there are many forces out there, uh, left, right, up, down, whatever, that want you to believe that the world is black and white. It isn't. And uh, sometimes people take the bait for whatever reason. And so this isn't, this isn't a football game. Uh, you know, this is uh, our lives. And so I just feel like, <laughs> number one, if some anonymous person says, hey, I'm Q, I'm on your side, you know what I do? I go, see ya. <laughs> like, who are you? What do you do? What's your history? I have a lot of questions. So number one, I would never believe some mysterious character. Uh, and you do not express your disagreement with something, because look what happens. The woman who was shot, you know, like you, you're attacking a government building. Just think, even if there's somebody there encouraging you to do it, whoever they are, think for yourself. That is my broad stroke message to everyone. Think for yourself. Don't believe a politician just because they stand up there and tell you the right things or the wrong things. Some of them, these are just flawed people. They are not gods. They got elected by you or a whole bunch of other people, and they're not that special, in my opinion. If they were that special, we wouldn't be in this mess. Wars wouldn't be happening. There wouldn't be, uh, you know, a virus that's eating people alive right now. We would be in good shape if the politicians knew what they were doing. And um, that's really my statement on it. I'm kind of like, hey, I was born here. We're all immigrants in this country. Um, I am very conscious of the rest of the world, always have been. You know, like when I'm making a film, I'm making it for everyone. I'm, I'm trans, by the way, Montauk will be translated into several languages, uh, you know, subtitles. Like there's a whole world out there. There's different cultures, different people. We need to celebrate that. I have a, I have a problem with news of all kind because it's all poisonous and toxic. 
It's never to encourage or uplift people. And at the end of the day, that's a choice. The perspective that the news gives you on a daily basis is a choice. And they're choosing to give you a poisonous perspective one way or another. There are two different ways you can talk even about the Capitol riots and say, geez, you know, this didn't have to happen. There are a lot of things we could have done and not blame this or that or anything and make people feel bad or isolate people. I, there's so many ways these politicians could speak and bring people together and they're simply not doing it. So I'm, I'm quite disappointed in that whole thing. Obviously it was horrible what happened. People died that day, you know, no one needs to die over stuff like that. Um, they were, some of them were there freaking out because they were convinced you know, that they were cheated out of something. I think uh, obviously Trump made a lot of mistakes, uh, but I think other people did too, because you, when you react to it and you, you fan the flames of this stuff, you're causing more trouble than good. And they damn well know it. And so again, I'm, I'm like, leave me out of this, man. I, I have nothing to do with this. You know, I, I'm about inspiration. I want to bring inspiration to people. You know, I'm, I'm, these things that I make are to inspire people not to, I'm very careful about my words in the sense that I'm not worried about getting any flack. I, I don't want to hurt anybody. I want them to understand that what I'm giving you is positive. Thinking for yourself is positive. Being aware of things are positive things. You know, they're not negative. I don't want you to live in fear. I just want you to make sure that, you know, I want people to live free. That's it. You know, we deserve that. We deserve to think free, too, and not have people think for us. Yeah, that that's great, because if we can take anything uplifting out of the past uh, couple of months, the past several weeks, is that this has woken a lot of people up. It has really uh, alerted people to uh, a sense of awareness. Um, I've, I've always, you know, tried to be as aware as possible, and even someone like myself who's being aware of being aware, this has made me even more aware of things that I didn't understand or didn't even think that I would uh, be considering in my life, that that I would be watching these things unfold. So if there is anything positive to take from this, it is the fact that a lot more people right now are a lot more aware. And I think a lot more people are going out of their way to be a bit more inspirational with their work. Like you said, like you're there to inspire people. You're there to put a positive message out to, uh, to the consumers. And I think that is also, uh, having a bit of a, a swell in popularity. Yeah. I, I hope we have a new Renaissance that's, um, and one of the subjects of, of a forthcoming episode of off to the witch is that it's like, um, I have this guest, Casey Marie, she's a musician, a singer, a model, a painter, she's a cinematographer, and she's got a pretty big following, but she always makes a point in everything she does to uh, be original, do something unique. And it's so, her visuals that she makes in, in a lot of her videos are very stimulating. I love that stuff. And one of the other episodes I'm doing is beauty and horror. What a weird juxtaposition. And that existed a lot in, in European cinema of the 70s, like Dario Argento. Uh, I love studying these things um, because what it does is it transmutes the audience, makes you think in a completely different way. And, and, and it doesn't change after that. Once you offer that strong perspective in a, in a kind of a sexy way, it's, it's like, wow, you're changed at the end. And that's what I loved about... Um, filmmakers and writers like Alejandro Jodorowsky, people like that, you know, like he, his whole point was to bring art, well, he's still alive, but his point is to bring art into your consciousness and change you. 
and I think that's what we need right now. The world's very ill and we need to bring this kind of healing art. It doesn't have to be this kind of, and I, I don't mean any disrespect, but kind of hippy dippy, you know, flower children, the world is beautiful thing. Cause it's not, it's a dark place also. It's also very beautiful. And there are things that are unconventionally beautiful in this world. And I think just that's that simplistic direction of telling people, do not side with the poisonous people. Do not side with the people that complain all day. Don't complain all day. Don't take the bait. Fortify yourself with things that stimulate you, that, that light up your mind and your imagination. Be good to the people around you. Weed out toxic people from your life. You know, these are, these are really important things because then if all of us did that, uh, it reminds me of that balloon experiment. If all of us individually practice that way, we could heal the world. There's just a lot of bad people out there that are in leadership positions. So, you know, I, am I hopeful about the new administration? I, I'm always hopeful, but do I trust them right away? No. What do you mean? Just because they got up there and said the right things to us and then pointed out the scapegoat? And he, trust me, he deserves to be a scapegoat. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, no, you could be saying something different right now. You could be building bridges, really building bridges, not dividing people further. So I'm allowed to have my criticisms. This is why we live in this country. We can criticize people. I'm glad the last four years are over, but I really wish, you know, we had a more powerful leadership right now. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a building block. You know, everything is a pendulum. Everything swings extremely, uh, you know, in, in one extreme direction and that just counters it in the other direction. Um, and it's all gradual, you know, it's it, when, when the insurrection happened, um, on, on January 6th, we all got this really quick history lesson about how long it's been since that's happened. And in the grand picture of, of society, we're nothing. You know, we we haven't experienced what most countries have experienced as as, as a nation as a whole. Um, we had one civil war and and that's you, you know some countries have that like <laughs> every other year. Uh you know, we we really we really are learning uh as as a nation and as a culture and I I I'm it it's terrible what happened but it's part of the process. I think, I think it's part of the, part of the bigger picture. Sure. Looking back in hindsight, we'll, yeah. we'll be able to be more sober about what happened. Um, I think maybe in a decade from now, a lot of us will have different opinions about it all. Yeah. And I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't mean any disrespect to the five individuals who died that day. That is not me saying, you know, Hey, shit happens. It is what it is by any means like you know the the family of uh officer sicknick and and the i think her uh, ashley babbitt like they're those families need to be um you know they they need support so that that wasn't me saying that those lives are are wasted or insignificant in any means i don't think yeah i i think she literally was just you know these people get confused and they think they're at a, a ball game and so i think she was just in the moment this is my team we're capturing the flag. Yay. This is great. You know, she didn't come in with a, a, a machine gun. You know, she was just, she was damaging government property and being pretty scary with a big crowd behind her and people were getting hurt. We found that out after we didn't know how many people died in the moment. Um, we all were told that after, but I think that it was unfortunate that she was killed. I think this is a human life. She's probably, you know, people loved her and her family and 
she wasn't some Nazi. I mean, like, you know, the Nazis were very different. You know, do your World War II history. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not what we saw at the Capitol. The Capitol was unfortunate. You should never lash out like that. And also, you should never believe some dude named Q who doesn't reveal himself. <laughs> like, come on. But he, but he knows what Trump's going to tweet. Yeah, first. okay. <laughs> I will never understand why anybody took that bait. But a lot of smart people did. Yeah. Know, which which know. is confusing. Not me, baby. <laughs> and it, it, it was all sort of a perfect storm, wasn't it? Everyone uh, has to be home. They have to be isolated because of COVID. And a lot of these people who were very smart, or they are very smart, they they had they had jobs where they went out and they spoke to people and they were social and and then suddenly they weren't and suddenly they did their jobs at home and they were in front of a computer and all it takes is one one of these hooks that Tim mentions all it takes is just one where you go that's interesting and then the next thing you know 2 hours passes and you're looking up conspiracy videos on YouTube and you're being convinced of something because you you start to think that that's not possible that can't happen and then you're showed some evidence that it did happen and it could be anything, flat earth, Q, anything. You know, that kind of makes sense. No. Well, and again, I, 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 I agree with you. That's how they get caught up. But look, if someone said to me, hey, you know, there's a, there's a mass gaslighting going on, I would say I would definitely consider that. One way or another, there is. If I were, if someone were to tell me, there were human exper illegal human experiments under false pretenses. I would say, oh, I know about those because they've been proven. Uh, so that's why I don't fully trust our governments because they have done some crazy stuff to the people of this planet. And why would you just blindly trust somebody? That's like someone walking in your home saying, listen, man, I'm going to come and stay here. I'm a really nice guy. Um, you know, can I, can I have your bank card? I'm not going to use it. Can I just... I'm, look, I'm a really good person. I have all the right things lined up. Let me tell you about me. Why would you trust that with your country? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you on what you do and what you don't do in my life too. I'm the same way. If you sit there and say, hey, man, I love you and you're doing nothing but hurting me, I'd be like, we're either going to get down or you're going to get out of my life. Like, you, I don't let people like that in my midst because I can, maybe because I was exposed to people like that at an early age, I saw a lot of shady people and uh, I can pick them out very quickly. I've tolerated some that I've recognized very quickly in, in business and in life only because I wanted to get through a certain place. But, um, you know, there's bad people out there, man. You know, this is a, this is a rough world. And there's a lot of the bad people traditionally show up with a smile and tell you they're good people. And that doesn't mean to walk around with this paranoia and distrust. I know who my friends are by their actions. I've have, I have friends for 30 years, you know, I know who they are, but I also know who my friends aren't, you know, and that's how you have to apply to everything, you know, to the government. I'm not taken by, it's the same, you know, uh, political speeches every year. The one who wins is smiling, the family standing there next to them, everybody's waving. It's like a parade, but what are they really doing? You know, let's let's give them a chance to do something and do something right for us. Clean this mess up. It's a big mess. And I'm not saying anything wrong by saying that.
And if, if you just blindly trust somebody that tells you everything's great, I, I feel bad for you, you know? So that's, that's my take on all of it. And I have nothing to do with it. I study things because they're interesting to me. I have every religious tome in this house that you could imagine in my library. It's a pretty big library. I've been building it my whole life. Uh, and I've, I've read all of them. And I, I've, I know all those perspectives. In terms of the news, you know, during this time period, I was making a movie called Of the Dead. It has a social political subtext to it. And it's really a tribute to George Romero because his films, uh, the, who directed Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead and movies like that, his films had a social political statement in each, each film. And so the tribute must have that. And I, I documented my experience in lockdown and being isolated and how I've, I was feeling. And so I needed to see all perspectives. So I watched CNN religiously. I watched Fox News religiously. I, I looked at live streams. I looked at all of the other independent news stations, read newspapers. I really wanted to see what everyone was saying and then um, you know, estimate what could be the truth because everything's manipulated one way or another, especially, you know, CNN and Fox, they're both speaking at you like a hypnotist. Like, no, you are gonna believe what I'm saying. I can't trust anybody that's doing that, you know? Absolutely agreed. And it's all it's it's all uh, coming from a, a slanted place, right? It's all coming from this self-interest uh, perspective or this self-interest um, landscape where, these are these are my beliefs. These are the beliefs that you should now have. It's hard to think for yourself. You know, it's it's hard to make decisions, and and we all slip up once in a while and kind of go the easier route. I think it's fascinating that some people think that they're thinking for themselves, but they're not. They're they 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 think that. I, and I think we're just going to like this cult um, down down this cult road. You know, they the the people who organize and and run successful cults do that because they have figured out a way to communicate to people in such a fashion where those people think that they are thinking for themselves, but they're not. They're under a spell. I don't know if I've told you, maybe I told you in private, but I had an experience uh, with someone who was very close to me, my my ex. Uh, She was in a, a group that was a cult and it was damaging to our entire universe. And I had no idea until I was really in the situation. And um, I observed what they were doing in their classes and things like that. And it was horrible. And I don't trust groups like that. I don't trust, you can have faith. I support that if it brings you joy. And even, you know, I had a friend who was a Jehovah's Witness and he would pray and, but it was a nice thing, you know, it was like, I thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I have uh, spiritual views, but they're kind of more like, I'm, you know, like the force in Star Wars. You know, I, I, I believe there's a, a very mathematical higher power that our brains can't fully compute. And um, I think in a, in, a, in a way, you know, how people say, well, God loves you. I think in a way that's true because that math is always putting you where you should be. And so if you're experiencing pain in that situation, it's because you're not supposed to be doing something. And I think on a, on a subatomic level, that clockwork is always pushing us somewhere. And I think this is being examined in, in quantum physics, but that's what I believe in. But I support anybody who, who, ha- who believes in something comforting because that 
moves those molecules too. So it all works for me. But when you try to persecute other people or you try and tell them they're wrong because they don't have your opinion about something and their opinion is not outright hurting anyone, you're wrong, you know? And so we live in a culture like that right now. Like, you know, there are some things that people are being canceled for that are just like, you know, everyone from Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby. <clears throat> but I think there are a lot of people out there that there's a lot of vindictive people that are taking advantage of that way of thinking and just having people destroyed for no reason. We can't live like that. You know, we okay, you heard it here first. Let's yeah. uncancel Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein. I never said that. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> Rewind the tape. Full, full exoneration. Full exoneration for Cosby and Weinstein. <laughs> and I wasn't defending anyone in particular. No, I know. I know. I'm just, I just had to jump in with some levity there. Um, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I love uh, speaking with you, Chris. I think uh, I do love that we can kind of bounce between light and, and heavier um, topics. So uh, sort of gracefully or, or maybe non-gracefully, I don't know. <laughs> it's, but it, it's on the minds today. You know, it's on everyone's yeah. mind. We had a rough year. Everybody had a rough year. So I, I think we should really uh, not totally write off what you said in the beginning with you. You said it, people want you to believe that, that the world is black and white and it's not black and white. That's not a cliche. I don't want to write that off as a cliche. And, and you, you even touched on it with the cancel culture. It It's it. Now it's like you're canceled or you're, or you're, or you're not like the slightest indiscretion. Like there's a lot of gray, there's a lot of gray in everyone's lives. And it's really tough to say someone is guilty a hundred percent and and now you're just instantly a bad person uh, i think it's i think that's really uh a fascinating conversation to have and i don't want to write off like hey life's not black and white i don't want to write that i don't want that to be dismissed as just a cliche because it's not and of course i wasn't speaking important. about skin color you know i'm speaking right on the term that it, it was forged upon is that it's just not so um so definable you know the world is we move in such an organic space and there are so many reasons for something and you just can't look if you know anyone that just calls people out and says this person's this and i would be curious of that person i would be curious of the person who keeps talking that stuff not the person they're talking about because if I've never heard anything from the person they're talking about, I'm not going to go and judge that person, of course. And if that is not my experience with the other person, I certainly would be looking at the person pointing his finger. 